0: on Local Now, Channel 525. Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
1: A widow, and she was in her late 40s, and she was dating. She was dating a non-believer. And she had a 16-year-old son, and she was worried about him, and this guy had sort of a calming effect on her. And she goes, you know, I would never turn my back on Christ, but I think I'm supposed to marry this man. I was like, well, you've already turned your back on Christ. There's only there's not there's not enough room for two gods in your life, and you've made your relationship with this unbeliever. You've made him your God in this case. I can see
0: the promised line. Though there's pain within the plan, there is victory in
1: the end. Your love is my battle cry the answer for all my life.
0: Grace to Live with Keith Crosby, Senior Pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so happy that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues our walk through the Sermon on the Mount with his successful Kingdom Living teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with us today to the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 6. Now here's Pastor Keith with today's study.
1: Father, Father, we thank you for this day. This is a day that you've made, a day that we can rejoice and be glad in. It's a day, Lord, where we get to open your word. We have the opportunity to look into the Sermon on the Mount and apply it to our lives so that we can take your message out beyond the walls of this church building, into the community and beyond. We are grateful that you loved us. We are grateful to serve you. Help us to serve you now through the preaching and teaching of God's word and the listening and learning and applying that we all can do. We love you, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we continue our series on the Sermon on the Mount entitled Successful Kingdom Living, Living Right Side Up in an Upside-Down World. Standing out for God so letting our light shine before men that they may see our good works and bring glory to our Father in heaven This is Jesus's only complete sermon recorded in Scripture the Sermon on the Mount. It was given in about 20 to 30 minutes We're going to be spent we spent when all is said and done about 15 weeks on it But it's worth unpacking because it's his manifesto. This is a picture of what his expectation is for his people this is not a treatise or a manifesto on how to be saved, on how to, be a, how, to, how to become a Christian, but how to live as a Christian in a world that needs the light of the gospel. And so we begin uh, another two-week series within the larger series. We just finished a little mini-series on prayer, and we're going to start a little two-week series here, The Profile of a Christ Follower. We're going to be doing a little profiling. I know profiling today kind of conjures up negative thoughts and ideas and politics and things like that. But this is good profiling. I mean, think about it. When you go online and you look for a job, you read, the successful candidate will have these skills. That's a profile. When your son or daughter brings a young man or a young woman home, you have a profile in mind for what they need to be like. When your doorbell rings at 2.50 a.m. on a Saturday morning, and you peep out through the peephole, and there's a man standing there with a glazed look on his face and a machete in his hand. You profile because it's not, that's not doesn't fit the normal profile. Somebody, you know. So we all do it. We profile the safety of the street before we cross. We profile, and that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as it's done the right way and for the right reasons. And so what we're going to talk about today is what inside out, right side up living looks like. And we'll begin that in, uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verses uh, 19 to 34, and what we're looking at here is what the real deal, Christ follower, looks like. Now as you listen today, and as you look into the text with me, and as we think about what you hear, let me encourage you, let me challenge you to do this. As we consider the profile of a Christ follower, of what a, a true Christ follower looks like as his beatitude heart his blessed are the poor in spirit heart his blessed are the peacemaker heart his heart transformed by a right understanding of god's word changes his or her attitudes it's going to lead to action in their lives but what i want you to do today is to use this profile and this is a two-part message we'll get through three attributes today and five next week lord willing i want you to use the profile as a mirror and not a set of binoculars in other words Hold it up before you and say, is this me? Don't get your binoculars out and look at your neighbor or your spouse or your friend or whomever and say, well, you're not, you're not stacking up too good. Don't do that. Let's use this as a mirror, not a set of binoculars and certainly not a, set of, not a microscope to examine someone else's life. Let's examine our own. And our text today, as I said, is Matthew 6, 19 through 34. Let me read it for you and then we will work through it as we develop the profile of a Christ follower I want to remind you that this is not a checklist for things for you to do this is a profile of what we ought to become or what we ought to be so that we can be salt and light so that we can so let our light shine before men and women in this broken hurting world and bring glory to our father who is in heaven by pointing them to Jesus so that we can stand out and not blend in Matthew 6:19 through 34. It's not going to be up on the screen because it's a long passage and there'll be about 35 extra slides. So look in your Bibles or listen closely as I read. Matthew 6:19, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal." For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will love one, he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Other translations say God and mammon. Other translations say God and the world. All of them apply. Verse 25 Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith?" Now, this is a passage for the 21st century. When I look at this, I see it's as applicable today, here and now, as it was then and there. And what we have in here, embedded in here, I believe, are eight traits that combine to make the profile of a true Christ follower, of someone living a transformed life for Christ. And the first of these eight traits is this. A Christ follower is faithful. What we see here is faithful. He is committed to an obvious and unashamed relationship with God. Where do we see this? We see this beginning in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But on the contrary, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither, rust nor, no, neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, your heart is also Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and the world. You cannot serve God and money. The focus of a true Christ follower is Godward and heavenward. He is faithful. She is faithful because she understands that this life is short and eternity is long And she sees through the trials, the slings and arrows that this life throws at them, beyond into eternity. And that orders all of her priorities. That's what's going on here. A true Christ follower would rather spend eternity with his children, with the sons and daughters that his Savior has entrusted to his care for this season in this momentary life than anything else. He's not going to be, you know, it says the eye is the lamp of the body. He's not going to have a wandering eye that wanders away from God, that wanders away from the important things of this life. His eye is fixed on the Savior. He is faithful. He is faithful. I'm reminded that James says that friendship with the world is hostility towards God. And in James 4, he refers to those people whose eyes have been turned away from Jesus to the things of this world, as spiritual adulterers, that's what's going on here there's only room for one god in your life and mine and we need to understand that look again at verse 24 no one no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other you know what this is this is sort of a new testament version of the first commandment exodus 20 verse 3 verse 5 you shall have no other gods before me You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God. Christ calls us, he calls you and he calls me, to faithfulness, to a spiritually monogamous relationship, to let nothing come between us or him. And people can perceive that when we are committed to him. When we have committed our lives to him, people see our faithfulness. They perceive it. They sense it. They smell it. They feel it. They hear it. It defines us. We have no room in our lives, for any other priority than God. He is the first priority. It doesn't mean that there we don't have other things that concern us, but God is the defining priority. Our relationship with Christ is the defining priority because we have surrendered ourselves to his care. We are entrusting ourselves to his care. You know, our relationship with Christ, our relationship with God is pictured in the Bible like a marriage. You have the wedding feast of the lamb in the book of Revelation. You have Israel des- described as the wife of God in the Old Testament. And you, just like you cannot be faithful to a spouse and another lover, no one and no thing can come between you and God. And when that is in place, when that is in play, when that is habituated, people see it. It's critical. That means that we're not ashamed of being Christ followers. You know, imagine coming to a dinner, a get-together. We had a, a wonderful time of fellowship yesterday with a bunch of people. Let's say I walk in there and I'm ashamed to introduce my wife to anybody. Right? I'm not being very faithful to my calling as a husband. When we are ashamed of Christ, when we minimize him and maximize the cares of the world, when we're a secret Christian, when we're in the insider movement of this culture where we live like the culture and not like a Christian should, we're ashamed of the gospel. And Jesus warns us in Luke 9, 26 about this. If we are faithful, we will not be ashamed. What does he say in in Luke 9, 26? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angels you see we can't serve two masters we can't have divided loyalties we can't embrace the culture and minimize without minimizing Christ we are not of this world we are in this world and you and I all of us together have been raised up by Christ, for such a time as this. And he has given each one of us our own mission. And we are to live our purpose for the glory of God, for the good of others, and for our own growth. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. We cannot serve God and the world with a divided loyalty. That's outside the profile of a real Christ follower. I once heard a a a professing Christian on television being interviewed and he said, you know what? My Christian beliefs do not influence my business decisions or my political decisions. I don't impose my thoughts or my standards or my mores or my morals on anyone else. And I thought, yeah. Who we are in Christ affects everything that we do. Faithful means nothing comes between a Christian and his or her God. Nothing comes between a Christian and his or her loyalty to God. I remember a number of years ago, a lady in our congregation came to me, and she was struggling. She was a believer. She was a widow, and she was in her late 40s, and she was dating a Jehovah's Witness. She was dating a non-believer. And she had a 16-year-old son, and she was worried about him, and this guy had sort of a calming effect on her. And she goes, you know, I would never turn my back on Christ, but I think I'm supposed to marry this man. I was like, well, you've already turned your back on Christ. There's there's not not enough room for two gods in your life and you've made your relationship with this unbeliever. You've made him your God in this case. There's no, you can't do that. It's outside the will of God. It's forbidden in scripture. Faithful, faithful. Friendship with the world is hostility to God. And in James 4, he calls that spiritual adultery. And we want to be faithful. We want to be trusting him based on who he is and how he is. We want to respond to his saving, amazing grace with a loving loyalty that shows the world that there are some things more important than keeping up with the Joneses. Which brings us to our next uh, trait, and that's fearless or fearless. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. People say Christians aren't sinless, but they sin less. Does that make sense to you, right? This side of heaven, we still are prone to sin, but as we grow in grace, as we grow in our relationship with God, we sin less than we did five years ago, hopefully in the same way, those who are committed, have committed their care to Jesus Christ, those who have surrendered their soul to the Savior, fear less than they did. They're not as worried about stuff. Their faithfulness to Christ tr- enables them, it calms their soul, their relationship with God enables them not to be so worried about stuff. And we see this call to this fearlessness, to, to fear less in Matthew 6, 25. Let me just walk you through this, beginning in... Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he gives these examples from life. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? We know the answer to that question. He sent his son to die for us. And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you Oh, of you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the unbelievers, seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. We're not worried about looking cool. We're not worried. It doesn't mean that we're not concerned. And I want to I emphasize that. Perfect loves cast out fear. We all have concerns. But we're not preoccupied. We're not distracted. We're not anxious about how, oh, look at the way he's dressed. Look at the way she's dressed. Is that a flip phone? No iPhone? No no Samsung? No, whatever it is. You're not worried about stuff. When you look at this passage, it's just amazing. Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. Knowing Christ, trusting Christ, changes us from the inside out. It's not that our life gets easier In many cases, it becomes more difficult. The slings and arrows and trials that this world throws at us. But it changes our thinkings about this life. We don't live a life of entitlement. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That means blessed are the unentitled who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy and are grateful to belong to God. They know that their eternal home is set and it changes everything from the inside out. We go from the Beatitudes to the public square here in this passage. We're not worried about clothes. We're not worried about this. We're not worried about that. We know that God is sovereign, that all things really, 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 really do work together for good, and that he never sleeps or slumbers or takes his eyes off of us. Knowing Christ moves us to restraint. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the self-controlled. We don't just fall apart. And people see this. They perceive this in us. Why? Why? Because we're not afraid like we used to be of missing out, of not fitting in. We're not going to fit in. We're going to stand out in this culture. This is an upside down culture and we're trying to live right side up in an upside down world, which is the heart of successful kingdom living as we point people to Christ because we are different. God is transforming us from the inside out. He's taking a knothead like me and making me good for something, useful for his kingdom. That's just my calling to be a knothead, not yours, but I digress. But we are different. We are different. We don't worry about keeping up with the Joneses. We don't resent people for their wealth. You know, today, there's a narrative. If somebody is excellent, and they have excelled, and they have stuff, and they have built wealth, they must have oppressed somebody else to get there. And, 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 you know, we, we don't appreciate excellence. We don't appreciate people striving for things. You know what that is? It's a violation of the Tenth Commandment. You shall not covet. You shall not covet anything that your neighbor has. You shall not resent him. You shall not envy him for it. You shall not try to take it from him. We're just different. Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. We are not fearful because we are surrendered to a God who spoke and the universe leapt into existence. A God who sent his son to die to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. A God who has given us his word to guide us. His Spirit to indwell us at salvation and to empower us to do in Him what we could not do in our own strength, in our own flesh. We are not worried. We fear less. It doesn't mean we don't have concerns. I have concerns. You have concerns. Life is difficult. Difficult doesn't mean impossible. He calls us to replace worry with worship, to replace fear with trust and obedience. And He promises that we will enjoy a peace in Him through Him that surpasses all human understanding. Where do we read that? Philippians 4, 6 through 9. How many of us have memorized 4, 6 through 8 and not 9? What does it say? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Don't worry, pray. Pray. Do something constructive. You have a concern, worry won't add an inch to your height or or an hour to the span of your life. Go before the God of the universe, the only one who can do anything. Take that problem, that need, to the foot of the cross. And then what? Verse 7, and the peace of God, it talks about, which surpasses all understanding will guard in your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Dwell on the good. Dwell on the fact that God has got this, that your Savior never takes your eyes off of him. And when you bow the knee to pray to him, when you bow your heart, when you pour out your heart to him in prayer, the king of the universe inclines his ear to listen And you will fear less. You will be anxious about less. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. Life is difficult, I know. Look at verse 9. Then what? Then do it all over again. What you have heard and learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things habitually, repetitively, over and over again, and the God of peace will be with you. There's your recipe for the sleepless night right there. How to deal with it. Don't worry. Pray. Put your trust in God. Dwell on his faithfulness. He sent his son to die for you. He's given you a church family to care for you. He's given his word to guide you and his spirit to empower you. Dwell on these things and the peace of God will guard and garrison your minds in Christ Jesus. Again, we don't want to be confused being fearless with it being without fear. I'm reminded that the difference between a coward and a brave man is the brave man knows the costs, knows what's at stake and does what he needs to do. He's faithful to his calling, and he overrides his fear as an act of will.
0: Pastor Keith Crosby on today's edition of Grace to Live. So if you'd like to drop us a note, you can email us here at keith@hillside.org at and also at jono@hillside.org. At That's J-O-N-O at hillside.org. Well, we hope that you'll join us again next time for Grace to Live. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves. And on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, it is our prayer that the Lord will richly bless you and thanks for listening.
1: Thank you for listening to Pastor Keith Crosby from Hillside Church in San Jose. Be sure to join us for our tour of Israel. April 30th to May 9th, 2020. For more information, go to hillside.org forward slash Israel trip.